Well, good morning once again, and a very, very warm welcome to Reality Church London. For those of you that I haven't met, my name is Bijan, pastor for our church. And let me just say, today is our fifth birthday. And as I stand here as a relatively new pastor, some of you know I started our work here in January, I stand here today in incredible gratitude, not only to God who has sustained our church, but to all of you. Some of you are new to our community, but there are some of you who have been here from before the beginning. You were part of the launch team and you prayed for this church and you set up chairs at the very beginning. And whether you're just here or have been here for, you are this church. We are a church in the city and it's made up not of one leader or one group of leaders, but the community of the body of Christ. And so truly, as we celebrate today what God has done, we do so with gratitude for our leaders and for our community. So I stand here today saying thank you. Thank you for the ways you've served and loved and given to Reality Church London. And I hope that you'll join me in praying and hoping that the next five years are even more fruitful and exciting than the past five years because we want Jesus to be made known in this city. And so towards that end, right now at our church, we're in a sermon series we just started last week on our vision and values. This is a chance for us as a community to remind ourselves the kind of church we want to be and the ways we want to love and serve London. And so on the screen now, you'll see our values. And this is for the next eight weeks, what we're going to be talking about as a church. We began last week, we want to be a community that's passionate about bringing people to Jesus Christ. We also are passionate about belonging to each other in the church, following Jesus day by day, and engaging or serving London with the whole gospel. And so that's what we're about. That's what makes Reality Church London tick. We are a bringing, following, belonging, and engaging community. And so on Sunday mornings for the next eight weeks, that's what we'll be talking about. Today is week two of that series. We're talking about bringing. What does it mean that we're a church that brings people to Jesus Christ? And we are back in Mark chapter two. If you have a Bible, if you have one there on an app or a phone, open up to Mark chapter 2. It'll also be on the screen, but I'm going to go ahead and read these verses to us, and then we're going to pray and take a look at this passage. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Now some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And so he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
So he said to the man, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Our God, as we said last week with this passage open before us, so we say again, we want to see amazing things. We want to see Jesus. We want to see your power on display. And so as we look now at this passage, we ask for the illumination, the filling of your spirit, and that you would give us insight, not only to understand, but power to be transformed as we encounter Jesus in these words. We ask all this for your glory and for our good as we pray together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. This is week two for us looking at this great passage. And the reason we're spending a couple of weeks looking at this story is because here in these verses, we see a man who has his life wonderfully, radically, and holistically healed by Jesus Christ. But that man would not have experienced Jesus's healing if it were not for his friends who brought him to Jesus. Now, we are a church that wants to see people experience the wonderful, radical, holistic healing of Jesus Christ. We want that to be experienced in London. But we know that can't happen unless we are a community that's passionate about bringing people to Jesus Christ. And so we've been looking at this story now for two weeks to see what it tells us about how to become this kind of community a community that's passionate and practical in bringing people to experience the fullness and the wonderful healing of Jesus. And today, as we celebrate our church's fifth birthday, what I want to do relatively briefly is meditate with you on this story, which is in itself a tiny version of the gospel. Here in these 12 verses, we see the fullness of what being a Christian is and what Jesus came to do. And so as we celebrate our church's fifth birthday, you can think of this sermon today almost as a declaration, almost as a prayer. This is what's animated our church for the past few years, and I hope and I pray that this passage animates our church for the next five and 50 years, that we would be a community passionate about bringing people to Jesus Christ. And so let's take a look at this story, and today I want to show you briefly three things. First, this story tells us something about who Jesus is, second, about what Jesus came to do, and then third, how you can receive it. So who Jesus is, what he came to do, and how you can receive it. So first, what does this story tell us about the identity of Jesus Christ? And I would say the identity of Jesus is actually the main point of the story. It may not be the most exciting detail as we read through the text, but it is, in the author's mind, the main point he's trying to make. And so when we ask the text the question, who is Jesus Christ? Here's the answer the story gives us. He is God, and he's unfailingly good. He's God, and he's unfailingly good. So let me show you where we see that in the story. Now, in just a moment, we'll talk a little bit more about the healing. But what you have here are a couple of friends who have a friend of theirs who's paralyzed. And Jesus has come to town. And as we said last week, Jesus is trending. He's growing in popularity. 
There's a buzz about this new teacher, this healer, this miracle worker. And so as Jesus comes back home to Capernaum, people flood into the house where he's teaching. Now, these friends with their paralyzed friend want to bring this man to Jesus because they think maybe he can heal him. Maybe our friend who's paralyzed, if we can just get him into the presence of Jesus, will have his life changed. And so they carry him across town and they get to the house and they realize there's absolutely no room. There's no window. There's no door. There's no way that they can get in. And so the friends do something creative and a little risky. They bust a hole in Jesus's roof. And they lower down this man, and there he is now causing quite the scene in the presence of Jesus Christ. And Jesus looks at them, and this is verse 5, says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, as soon as Jesus says that, there's some people in the crowd who are skeptical. They're not sure what they think about Jesus. And as soon as Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, immediately alarm bells go off in their mind. And they say, as you see there in verse 6, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, here's what they've recognized in the story. As they hear Jesus proclaim forgiveness, they understand, and they're right about this, that only God has the ultimate authority to forgive sin. And so they think to themselves, who is this man, Jesus, who's claiming something that is reserved only for God himself? And that's the first thing that we need to be clear about. According to the passage here in front of us, according to the whole New Testament, Jesus Christ is claiming and acting as God himself. And that's a core tenet of the Christian faith. There are lots of people today who want to domesticate Jesus. They want to look at him as a nice moral teacher. He's got some good insight. He's got some good wisdom. I mean, he's not the Lord of heaven and earth. You don't have to surrender everything to him. But yeah, he's inspiring and we can learn a lot from him. And C.S. Lewis quite famously said about 60 or 70 years ago, he's either a liar or a lunatic or he's Lord. But let's stop with all this patronizing nonsense that he was just a good teacher. Now, that's Lewis's words, not mine. (laughs) But what the passage is trying to get us to see is Jesus' claim, the claim of the Bible, is that here is a man who has the right and authority to act as God does because he is God. And the first invitation for us today is to reckon with the Jesus that stands before us and not the figment of our imagination. To hear the one standing here claiming all authority in heaven on earth. And to say, this is the Jesus before whom we must give account. So on one hand, the passage is inviting us to recognize who is Jesus Christ. Yes, he's a man, but he's God himself. The one for whom all authority belongs. He's God. But what I love about this passage is it also then tells us something about the character or the nature of God. And there's so much, of course, that the Bible says, but what stands out to me, which is brilliant and stunning as I read these verses, is what you might describe as the goodness of God. You might say the kindness or the graciousness or even the compassion of God. Because think with me about this story. Here's Jesus claiming authority to be God, but look at what's actually happening. 
We know from Mark chapter 1, the chapter just before this, that Jesus had just had an incredibly busy trip. He was moving around, he was teaching, he was healing, he was home now, and he was probably exhausted. And what happens? He gets home, he probably wants to sit on his sofa, put his feet up, read the paper, and relax. But instead, people from all over come and they crowd into his house. Now, as some of you know, my wife and I and Esme, we were just traveling for a couple of weeks, and it was great, but it was also really tiring. And I love all of you. But if upon getting home from Heathrow, you were all in my flat, I would not be very happy. <laughs> I would say, I want to rest. I need some time to myself. Thank you very much. And yet here they are, and they've crowded into the house. More than that, they are breaking apart Jesus' home. They actually break his roof. Now, it's true that roofs were not the same back then as they are today, but still, this would have required some fixing. And so not only are they not giving him rest, but they're actually giving him more work to do. And more than that, and I can say this as a preacher, no preacher wants their sermon interrupted. And so here's Jesus preaching, and his sermon is completely interrupted as a guy gets lowered into his very presence. Now you would think that even the kindest of people in a moment like that would have been a little perturbed. And they would have said, come on, is this really the right time? Just give me a break. But yet you read this story, and here's God, the one who flung the stars into the sky. And in this moment of his own physical exhaustion, as all this is happening, how does Jesus respond? Incredible compassion. Never a cross word. Never even a second of being annoyed or bothered with someone else's problem. There's not even a moment where Jesus, who could have made this person feel incredibly embarrassed and ashamed. There's never a moment where Jesus adds to this paralyzed man's shame. Instead, the only people that Jesus goes out of his way to make a little uncomfortable are the religious people who think they know everything. But the people in need, the people who are hurting, they get unfathomable grace and kindness. And what you're going to see in the rest of Mark's gospel is this man, Jesus Christ, who is both at the same time God with all power and yet unspeakably kind and good and gracious. And this is the God with whom we must give an account. This is who Jesus is. And so the first thing we learn from this story, who is this Jesus? He's God and he's good. But the story also tells us something about what Jesus came into the world to do. And we're going to spend a few minutes now on the second point of our sermon. What did Jesus come into the world to do? And here's the answer. He came to bring holistic healing. Holistic healing. And let me show you what I mean as we look at this story. The text tells us that there was the paralyzed man and he had a need, a huge need. But when we go a little deeper, we actually realize that he had two needs. And we have to see those two needs as things that we also share and things that London shares if we're going to experience the wholeness of Jesus' healing. What's the man's first need? Well, it's the obvious one. He's paralyzed. He doesn't have control of his limbs. He cannot walk. He's paralyzed. But there's a second need, and the second need is less obvious and yet more fundamental. It's a deeper need. So again, think with me. Let's think about the story. Jesus is there teaching. All of a sudden, the roof starts to shake. 
there's a hole and there's a man lowered, and it's obvious to everyone this guy is paralyzed. So now Jesus is teaching there's a paralyzed person in front of him. And you could imagine, as strange as this scene must have been, the paralyzed man must be filled with a little bit of hope, probably some dread, but maybe he's thinking, finally, this is the day, and this is the guy, he can heal me, and I'll be able to walk. And the friends there up on the roof looking down saying, we got him here, look at us, we busted through the roof, we brought our friend all the way here, we did it, he's going to be healed. And Jesus, now looking at the man before him, says, verse 5, your sins are forgiven. And you can imagine the paralyzed man thinking, uh, that's not why I came here. <laughs> and you could see the friend saying, uh, thank you, but we have another need. We need this guy to be physically healed. Jesus in that moment is looking at a man who's paralyzed. And he says, in effect, you don't know it but you have a need for healing that's much deeper than your paralysis. You need to be forgiven of your sin because your sin, Jesus says, is your greatest need. And Jesus says that to us too. You see, many of us come here today and we're bringing to God our needs. I need this and I need that and I need this person. I need that job. I need this place to live. And Jesus looks right into the center of our soul and says, actually, your deepest need is one that you might not even be able to see. You need forgiveness for your sin. What is sin? Well, according to the Bible, sin is not just bad behavior. Sin isn't just doing wrong things. We might actually say, using the imagery of this story, that sin is the paralysis of your soul. Sin is a posture of the heart that seeks to avoid God. Sin takes self and it sucks it into the center. Self-centeredness and self-absorption, that's the manifestation of sin. And so when sin as a force that dwells in us, not just something we do, but who we are, when sin is present, what happens is you take things in your life, even good things, and we turn them into God substitutes. And we look to those things to give us something in life that only God was meant to give. And so sin at its heart, at its essence, is a soul that's curved in on itself. It's a soul that's not functioning as it ought to be, as it should be, as it could be. There's a place in the American author John Steinbeck's novel, East of Eden, where he says that underneath all of our topmost layers of frailty, there's just two things that people want. We want to be good and we want to be loved. And he goes on to say, underneath all of our vices are attempted shortcuts to love. Underneath all of our sin, all of our attempts to satisfy our souls with something other than God, it's just attempted shortcuts to love. And Jesus says, this is your greatest need. Forgiveness from your sin. Because your sin is crushing you. Your sin, that's the thing that has you in bondage. You see, when we think of forgiveness, you shouldn't just think of having a debt canceled. You should also think of freedom from a terrible taskmaster. Some of you will know the story of the Lord of the Rings. There's the part early in the Fellowship of the Ring, the first novel, where Gandalf is having a conversation with Frodo. And if you've never read the story or seen the movies, just bear with me. They have funny names, but there it is. 
Gandalf is having a conversation with Frodo and they're talking about the ring. And in the Lord of the Rings, the ring is this force. You might describe it as the, the sin force, the, the source of evil. And as the two are having a conversation, they begin talking about this thing called Gollum. And Gollum had been the owner of the ring for many, many, many years. And this ring had so become part of his life that it completely warped Gollum's sense of identity. And there was a part of the story where Gandalf says to Frodo, he had this ring and he hated it, but he couldn't get rid of it. And Frodo says, well, why not? I mean, he, why didn't he just walk away? Why didn't he just let it go? Why didn't he just shed himself of this bondage? And Gandalf replies, you ought to begin to understand. He hated it, and yet he loved it, just as he hated and loved himself. He could not get rid of it. He had no will left in the matter. What a powerful, penetrating description of the bondage of sin. He had no will left in the matter. He was completely enslaved to this thing that he simultaneously hated and loved. It was so fundamentally part of him, he could not be free of it, despite his best efforts to. What he needed and never received, but what Jesus offers and promises and grants is forgiveness from sin. Forgiveness, not just the canceling of a debt, but freedom from this terrible foe and enemy to the very thing that's crushing your soul, enslaving you. And Jesus says, this is your greatest need. This is the greatest need that you have. This is the greatest need that London has. Why are we a church that wants to bring people to Jesus? Because we need forgiveness of sin. But notice, and here's what's so crucial. Jesus pronounces forgiveness. He declares that this man can be freed from the guilt and the power of sin. Of this self-centered bondage that he finds himself in. But once Jesus makes that proclamation, he doesn't say, okay, you're forgiven. Now, please, on your way, I have to finish my sermon. Here's still a paralyzed man. And Jesus, after proclaiming forgiveness of sin, as the story goes on, does provide physical healing. In other words, he doesn't just say, spiritually, now you're right with God, so please be on your way. He also sees the impact of brokenness in this person's life, and Jesus does what he can to relieve it. He gives physical healing. And here's what I want us to be considering as a church. If we're serious about walking in the way of Jesus, if we're serious about being a church that wants to see the gospel made known in our city, we cannot just say, Jesus forgives you of your sin and that's all you need. But we also have to recognize that God is interested in bringing healing and renewal and flourishing and justice into broken and dark places. He's interested in seeing things and places and peoples and even societies healed and brought back to life. You see, the gospel brings holistic healing. And we know that not only from this passage... But when you read through the whole Bible, and even when you look at the Gospel of Mark, here's what you see. When Jesus came into the world, he brought his kingdom. So earlier in Mark chapter 1, we're told that Jesus came with message of good news. He was preaching the kingdom of God. 
And so Mark, what he does is he says, what is the good news of the gospel? What is the good news of Jesus' coming? It's the kingdom. It's that with the advent of Jesus, the kingdom of God is now on earth. You say, okay, well, what does that mean? <laughs> Here's what you got to see. When I was a younger Christian, I used to read the gospels. And I would read stories about Jesus doing miraculous things. And I would think to myself, that's so cool. I mean, Jesus feeds hungry people out of nothing. Jesus walks on water after there's a big storm. Jesus brings people back to life. And I say, wow, Jesus is awesome. Like, he's so strong, and this is great. But as I continued to read, I realized, you know, those miracles where Jesus does things that are supernatural, those are not random displays of power. That's not Jesus flexing his divine muscle saying, look at what, you guys are going to love this one. <laughs> what Jesus is doing in those moments is he's showing everybody what life looks like in the kingdom of God. He's saying, the king is here. And when the king comes into your presence, paralysis can't stay. When the king is on your boat, we are not going to be sunk by waves. In other words, for a brief moment in those miracles, what Jesus is doing is he's taking the veil back and he's showing what life looks like in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, then, we're interested in holistic healing. Now, hear me, and this is so important. I'm not saying that there isn't suffering and evil in our world. There is. And I'm also not saying that Christians can't suffer and experience great hardship and pain. They can and they do. But what I am saying is this. When the kingdom of God comes in all of its fullness, all sickness and all sorrow and all suffering and all injustice will be dealt with finally and forever. And if we're a church that cares about the kingdom of God and advancing the kingdom of God in London, then we do not have the right to say, Jesus forgives you of your sin, but we don't care about anything else. Because the kingdom of God cares about all forms of suffering, all forms of injustice, all forms of evil. Our greatest need, yes, forgiveness. But Jesus goes on to bring healing. So over the past few weeks, I've been reading a lot about London and asking myself, what kind of paralysis, physical need, is there in our city? And you know, some of you know way better than I do, that our city, though beautiful, is also very broken. And as I've been reading, there are a couple of things. These are not comprehensive. But here's a couple of aspects of brokenness that pervade our city. And I'm going to give them to you now because this is what God is calling us to be, a church that advances his kingdom in the spaces of darkness and brokenness. So, as many of you know, depression rates in London have doubled since the pandemic began. More than 9 million people in our country describe themselves as feeling often and deeply alone. And that was before the pandemic came. You know that in 2018, loneliness was such an epidemic in the UK that Theresa May appointed a minister for loneliness. First country in the world to do that. To actually have a state-sanctioned way of addressing the crisis of loneliness. And that was before the pandemic. Racial justice, in which people are describing racial tension as increasing both personally and systemically. Rough sleeping rates are rising, especially since the pandemic. 
And how about this, food insecurity. One in eight kids have experienced food insecurity since this past Christmas. There's more than eight kids here today. I mean, that's a stunning fact in a city like ours. Now, that's a brief list, but what are we saying? There is physical need all around us. There is paralysis. And as a church, we want to proclaim the good news of God's salvation that forgives sins. And we also want to advance and talk about a kingdom that comes that heals brokenness and brings bodies back to life. And as a church, we want to care about both. And we want to bring people to Jesus because he cares about both. So what is it that Jesus came into the world to do? To bring holistic healing. Forgiveness for sin and healing for brokenness. Now, that leads us to ask finally, how do you receive it? How is it that we can receive healing, this holistic healing, from this man, Jesus, who is both God and good? Three quick things as we come to our time of response. How do you receive this healing of Jesus in your life? First, look to the cross. It's amazing to me that here in Mark chapter 2, a person is lowered into the presence of Jesus and experiences healing. And I see this as almost a beautiful foreshadowing because how does the gospel of Mark conclude? It concludes with Jesus raised up on a cross, providing his healing for the whole world, for all who will trust and believe in him, for all who will come to him for forgiveness of sin and for healing. And so the first invitation, if you want to experience Jesus' saving work, is to see Jesus raised up for you. To hear, as Jesus proclaimed in Mark chapter 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. If Jesus simply healed this man's paralysis, it would have been possible to think of Jesus like a genie. Oh, when I need something, I run to Jesus and he makes my life a little better. But when Jesus proclaims first the forgiveness of sin, what Jesus is saying is, you do not need a genie, you need a savior. You need someone who will reach down and not give you just what you think you need, but will actually see into the paralysis of your soul and bring you back to life. And that's what Jesus offers on the cross. So the first invitation for us today, if we're going to be a church passionate about bringing people to Jesus, look to the cross. See Jesus raised for you and surrender to him. Second, how do we receive this healing? Press in through prayer. N.T. Wright, an Anglican bishop, in reading this story said, this whole story is a picture of prayer. It's a picture of persistence of people breaking through roofs, doing whatever they must to find themselves into the presence of God. And so the invitation for us today is, what's your brokenness? What is the thing that's ailing you, your sin, your paralysis? Press into God's presence through prayer. And to Wright says, you'll always get more than you bargained for, which is exactly what happened to this man. And third, and finally, and a big prayer of mine for our church, The text says that as the friends lowered this man into Jesus' presence, the text says when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. Whose faith? Was it the man who was healed? Yeah, that was included. But when he saw the faith of the four friends who brought him, let us be a church that's filled with faith for others, 
for our city. There are some people in your life right now, as I talk about bringing people to Jesus, there are people that you think of and you say, they would never, there's just no way. There's no way that they would ever consider Christ or experience God's healing. This passage is an invitation to faith. God responds to faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But notice it wasn't just the faith of the person being healed, it's the faith of the people that brought him. May we be a community filled with faith in the goodness and the compassion of Jesus, bringing our friends into his presence. Jesus will respond. Let's pray for that now. Our God, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you for everything that we learn in Mark 2. But God, we long to be a community that isn't just informed by these words. We want to be transformed. We want to be a church that sees people experience the radical, wonderful, holistic healing of Jesus Christ. So please, God, use this time now of response to transform us, to help us be a community that so encounters the goodness of Jesus Christ the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that we cannot leave here the same. Lord, we bring you ourselves, we bring you our friends, we bring you this city, and say, God, please heal us. Please meet us right now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.